Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. We are continuing our study in the book of Joel. We started this last week. Um, the nation of Israel is uh, in hard times, uh, and an army has invaded Israel. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, and, but that's, that's our, our, our setup, is that an army has invaded Israel, and they, are, and they are called, we talked about this last week, they are called to mourn. Your sin got you into this place. You should feel bad about that. You should. We should feel bad about sin. If we don't, there's a problem. Um, there's, there's, there's something broken in us when we can do something wrong and it doesn't bother us. That means that part of our conscience has been seared off. We've, we've killed it. We want to feel bad when we do something wrong. A conscience is a sign that God is still working within us. So, I want to start in, just right out of the gate in Joel chapter 2 and read the first half of the, the, the first few verses of the chapter um, and, and then get a little deeper. So, Joel chapter 2, starting with verse 1. Blow the trumpets in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy hill, let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, like dawn spreading across the mountains. A large and mighty army comes, such as never was of old, nor ever will be in ages to come. Before them, fire devours. Behind them, a flame blazes. Before them, the land is like the Garden of Eden. Behind them, a desert waste. Nothing escapes them. They have the appearance of horses. They gallop along like cavalry. With a noise like that of chariots, they leap over the mountaintops, like a crackling fire consuming stubble, like a mighty army drawn up for battle. At the sight of them, nations are in anguish. Every face turns pale. They charge like warriors. They scale walls like soldiers. They all march in line, not swerving from their course. They do not jostle each other. Each marches straight ahead. They plunge through defenses without breaking ranks. They rush upon the city. They run along the wall. They climb into the houses like thieves. They enter through the windows. Before them, the earth shakes. The sky trembles. The sun and moon are darkened and the stars no longer shine. The Lord thunders at the head of His army. His forces are beyond number. and Mighty are those who obey His command. The day of the Lord is great. It's dreadful. Who can endure it? All right. Often throughout the Bible, armies of foreign nations are so large and so devastating, camping on the, on the fields where they destroy the crops, the armies are compared to a plague of locusts. Joel is a little confusing. It may be that it's the other way around and that it's a plague of locusts that's compared to an army. Push comes to shove. I think that, and we talked last week that, that it may be a plague of locusts like an army. It may be an army like a plague of locusts. P- 
people aren't entirely sure. I lean towards the plague of locusts. That everywhere else in the army, everywhere else in the Bible, it's an army like locusts. I think here it's the opposite. If I were to take a guess, it's locusts like an army. As we don't know the time frame that Joel even lived and wrote in it, it makes it trickier to figure that out. And we talked last week about what this meant for the nation of Israel, why this plague had come upon them. It was because these things happen when Israel is not being blessed and protected by God. You can live in this land if, here's the covenant, if you follow me. Pretty simple covenant. They didn't follow him. The armies, whether human armies or locust armies, the armies come in. And so now Israel is having a terrible time. And Joe calls the people to, what, remember the past? No, not, not that, what we looked at last week. God, through the prophet Joel, says, you need to mourn your sin. Your sin put you in this place. You need to recognize that, and you need to regret it and mourn it. And, 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 and you know, sometimes sadness and despair are, are, are the right actions for our behavior. When we, when we get ourselves into trouble... We probably we should. When my own actions cause my own problems, and I, I shouldn't I shouldn't get mad at everybody else. I should mourn and say, not God, why are you doing this to me? But oh, I did this. This is on me. And and I should mourn my behavior and my actions. Uh, and that's not what people want to do today. But it's what they need to do. It's what Christians need to do. Sin should hurt us. It hurts God a lot. So much that he sent Jesus to die to get rid of sin. Our sins killed Jesus. And if that doesn't make you upset, if that doesn't cause you grief, if it doesn't make you mourn, then there is a problem. Your sins, my sins, killed Jesus. And that should cause us to mourn. We shouldn't take that for granted. And if we do take that for granted, our hearts are calloused. And that, and that, and that is what the devil wants. He wants, you to, he wants you to blow it off and say, everybody else does this, it's not a big deal. We learn to mourn our sin, chapter 1. And in chapter 2, where we're moving then, the, the subject says, now that we have mourned, let us repent. So we pick up in verse 12. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and, 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 and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, and he relents from sin and calamity. Who knows? He may turn and have pity and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God, Blow the trumpet in Zion. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Consecrate the assembly. Bring together the elders. Gather the children, those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the temple porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the people, where is their God? 
the people of Israel were called to rend their hearts. We are called to rend our hearts. Do we have the right attitude with God? Do we, do we have humility? You do notice in, in multiple times, I, I can think of when the, the 12 spies got sent into Canaan and came back and everybody got scared about what was facing them. Uh, we see throughout the Bible that when people are really mourning, when they're really upset, they tear their clothes Sometimes they put on sackcloth, they, they throw ashes on their head. They do these, these, these we would call it um, um, pretty extreme measures of physically showing that they're mourning. We don't see that any, anymore. We don't see people tear their clothes. And I'm not saying tear, destroy your wardrobe, okay? But, but that imagery of, of doing so, of, of sin matters, and, and, and it tears me apart. We don't see that that much. Uh, we talked about this last week. Um, you know, the, the, the rending of the clothes was, was symbolic of the rending of the heart. And we talked about last week, where, where is the mourning that people should feel today? We, we live in a sinful world. It's not like we're short on sin in our world. If anything, I, I do feel that the days, I don't mean to, I said this back in my previous church and somebody got really offended by this. I'm going to stick to it. I think we were a Christian nation. I, I don't know that I would use that phrase to describe us now. And I say that just on numbers. That doesn't mean there aren't Christians in the nation. There was a time when the majority of the people in the United States of America called themselves Christian and went to church on Sundays. That over 50% of the population you could find in church on a Sunday. We're nowhere near that numbers. Um, and, and the things that are okay with our society, not okay with the Bible. And so I think that we are less Christian, less godly as a nation than we were. Now, to be clear, I don't see any biblical command that says everybody that lives in the United States of America needs to be Christian. Everybody needs to be Christian around the world. I don't think that we're special. I don't think that that, I just think that's kind of the ebb and flow. The Roman Empire was pagan, and then it became very Christian when Constantine converted to Christianity, and then it fell off again. And I think people and societies do these, and I, I, I would love nothing more than that we're at the bottom of the trough and we're getting ready to come out of that. That would, that would be the best news, that this is as bad as it gets. Because I have trouble imagining it getting worse, to be honest. But we may not be at the bottom yet. Um, I would love another great revival where, where faith sweeps over the country and people f- search for God again. I don't know that we're... we're th- I, I, I would love that. I don't think that we're there yet, unfortunately. Um, our world doesn't feel bad about what it's doing. And that's a problem when it trickles its way into the church. And the church gets this idea that sin is no big deal. We, we pick up leprosy of the heart. You know what leprosy is. We have this idea in the Bible that leprosy is when your fingers and toes fall off. And that's really not what leprosy is. It's a deadening of the nerves as I understand it. And... And so what would happen to be you'd be sleeping and a rat might crawl into your bed and start chewing on you and you wouldn't notice it. And that was where a lot of the threat for leprosy... Leprosy was a numbing. Numbing first of the extremities that would, that would move inward and, and, and where you don't feel anything. And if we don't feel bad about sin, then we have like a leprosy of the heart where our heart is numb. And that is dangerous. Um, people may speak words of sorrow and repentance. But for many people, it's just words. 
It's just for show. Um, they, 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 it doesn't go any deeper than their mouth. Some hope that if they say the words enough, maybe they really will get around to feeling sorry for it, but they're just going through the motions. Others play a game. You know, let's see if we can fool the church, fool the preacher. If we can fool, those, if we can fool the church and the preacher, maybe we can fool God that I'm sorry about my sin, but I'm really not. Sometimes when people are, when they sin and they are exposed to sin, that shame, when it's exposed, is what it takes to break their hearts. And, that, and that's okay. That's, that, I mean, that's good. God will use any tool in his arsenal to break you and show you that sin is a problem. Some people, however, when, when, when confronted with their sin, are mad that they got caught. They might cry crocodile tears. They, if they change their life, it's minimal. What can I get away with to get you off my case and to make people think I'm a good person? So we ask that question for us. What about, what about you and me? Do we regret our sin or do we regret when we're caught in our sin? Some people, when shown their sin, they're grateful. Maybe because maybe they didn't see it. Somebody, you, you pull them aside and say, you've got a real problem, you know, the way you're treating other people, and they may not have realized that they were treating other people poorly. And when you confront them with it, their response is, I didn't see this, but I'm glad that you brought this to my attention. That was, God is speaking through you, and now I can address this sin in my life. Um, now, shown their sin, they, they will not rest until they confront it and become more Christ-like, and they love that. Others see sin and think, there's got to be a way I can blame this on somebody else. It's not my fault. It's got to be everybody else's fault. Um, how, do, how, do, how do I diffuse the situation? They, they'll snap at the one God sends to confront them of their sin. How do we pass the buck on? We, we live in a day and age where the greatest, greatest success in life is to pass the buck on to somebody else. How do I make, how do I make, it's everybody else's fault. You know, that's, that is one of the things that worries me of, of today's trend. Um, so much is, is playing the victim. If things are going wrong in your life, it's everybody's fault but you. Um, it's, it's the pilgrim's fault. It's Hollywood's fault. It's Washington, D.C.'s fault. Every, there's got to be a way to blame everybody, but it's never you. It's, you're never the problem. It's everybody else that's, that's ganging up against you. We never take responsibility for our own actions and for our own sin. And I expect... I had a delightful day yesterday. I talked with a buddy of mine named Chris from, um, we used to live in Lincoln together, Lincoln, Illinois. It has been 25 years since I've talked with my buddy Chris. Um, he was one of my best friends in Lincoln, and it's been 25 years since we've talked. Um, Chris is not a Christian. Um, and, and in the course, it, it had been like we hadn't, it had been like, it had only been a couple days. It was so good to hear his voice. But he had, said, he had asked me one, all those years ago, um, Jason, do you think I'm going to hell? Um, and my response had been, Chris, it's not about your sexual orientation. It's not about all these other things in your life. I believe, as someone who believes that the Bible is true, that people go to hell because they're not Christians. And that's it. It's not about all these other things in your life. It's just about the fact that you don't follow Jesus. And I believe that people that follow Jesus are disciples of him, baptized into his name, Christians, I believe that those are the only people going to heaven. 
And I believe that you don't fall in that category. And it's nothing personal. It's nothing against you. You're still one of my best friends. But yeah, I do. He said, do you remember that conversation yesterday? I said, yeah, I brought it up in church more than once. I do remember that conversation. He said, that was the best conversation ever. He said, it was just so honest and blunt, and I never took offense at it, and you were just telling me the truth, what you saw, and he said, I still, he said, I still tell people about that conversation. That amazes even me, that you can tell your friend, yeah, it's nothing personal, but yeah, I think you're going to hell. Um, the world wants us to be honest with, with the world. Um, we, we never take responsibility we never call sin for what it is and it's time to do that we have to realize that we are sinners in need of a savior and that should cause us to mourn and 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 again to be clear the issue with chris and we talked about this again i don't expect non-christians to act like christians if i if i i don't i don't expect if i tell chris this is what your life should be like if he doesn't believe this book is true, why would he, why would, why, I don't want him to follow me. I want him to follow Jesus. So I don't want him to do, well, I need to change up my life because Jason says, I want him to change his life around because he feels convicted that God wants him to change his life. But if he doesn't believe in God and that the Bible is the truth of God, then why, so, so much of preach, I mean, preaching is not evangelism. Evangelism is when you tell non-Christians you should be Christians. This in here, preaching, I'm preaching to the saved. Mostly, most of you are preaching to the saints. This is how we as Christians make sure that we are living according to this book, that we are living right with God. Because the alternative is we could fool ourselves. Well, I come to church on Sunday. We could fool ourselves that we're Christ-like and Christians, but it's not your attendance that saves you, is it? It's following God through His Son, Jesus. And and so I expect Christians to act like Christians. And I don't expect non-Christians to act like Christians. It would be nice. I, expect non- I don't expect non-Christians to care about these words. But I think that if we who call ourselves Christians, we should care. We have to realize that our sin causes God pain. That's why he sent Jesus to die, to get rid of it. Um, and if we don't realize that, we're not going to turn our lives around. We're not going to act Christ-like. We're not going to... And, to be clear, acting Christ-like is what we mean by lordship, that God calls all the shots, and he, call, and he gets to pick how we act. And, and we will never be saved until we realize that we need to be saved, that sin is a problem. And that should be a horrible feeling. It should. That, that, that realization that I am lost without God, that I am a sinner, and that I, am a, and that I need to be broken, and I need to give it all up, not, not part of my life, but all of it. Are we heartbroken? Because we should be. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. They shall be comforted. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And so we are called to be broken before him. Rend our hearts. And when we've done that, we may repent of our sins. Once we are in a proper state of mourning, of actually regretting our sin, not just lip service to it, then we can repent, and only then. And so do we know what it means to repent? Because it means more than to regret. In today's day and age, we've probably all by now know someone who has been addicted to 
alcohol or, or even cigarettes, something simple, um, or, or drugs, and, and they regret their addiction, man, every one of us, if we had a quarter for everybody that said, I know I should give up smoking, it's bad for me, but everybody knows somebody like that. Maybe you're somebody like that. And, and they, they regret that they smoke, they regret that they pick that up, but it's hard to quit. Regret is not enough, is it? You remember the story of the woman caught in the act of adultery in the, in the Bible? A lot of people talk about that. A lot of people remember that story. Because Jesus confronts this woman. Um, and, and what most people take home is where Jesus says, where are your accusers after he kind of drives them off? Well, I don't see them. Well, I, then I don't, you know, if they're not here to condemn you, I won't condemn you either. Most people stop there. You know, Jesus didn't condemn her. No. Yeah, and then what does he say? Go and sin no more. It doesn't end with, I don't condemn you. It ends with, knock it off. Stop, stop sinning. That's repentance. The definition of repentance is to turn away from our sins, to face the other direction. Uh, I had a buddy in high school and college, both, uh, my roommate in college. His father, he lived across the street from the church in Salem, Illinois. His father had been living a rough life. Um, a lot of, lot of alcohol, a lot of cigarettes. And inevitably that caught up with him and he got cancer. So, inev- you know, then, then what comes next? Tra- cancer treatments, tracheotomy. Um, after that, he quit smoking, but he didn't, he didn't quit drinking, pouring all that hard liquor down on, on that tracheotomy and... and was still going to the bars to hang out with his friends and drink, and that was back when you could smoke inside. <laughs> Hanging out in a smoke-filled bar with a tracheotomy and, 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 and chugging, chugging down the hard liquor, and you can guess what happened. Cancer came back, and it's what killed him. He just couldn't give that up, that, that, that addiction to the things that were killing him, and everybody could see that it was killing him, and it was horrible to watch him go through that. And know that he did that to himself. Um, sin is like that. It's a poison that's hard to let go. It's an addiction. I mean, because that's what cigarettes and, and alcohol are, right? They're poisons that are hard to, hard to let go once you get addicted to them. Th- those that sin and don't intend to quit, that's not repentance. Many people, I fear, sin and have no intention of quitting. God, I want to be saved from hell, but I don't want to be saved from my sins. I just want your forgiveness so that I can keep on sinning. They, they, they like their sin. Sin is so deceptive and addictive, isn't it? If we're honest, we've all got that bit that we don't want to quit. I, I don't want to quit. I mean, if I'm honest, there are things in my life that if I could get away with them, I would. Because that evil part of me, and I'd love to say, oh, Jason, I'm completely transformed. I'm never tempted to. There are things that if I thought God would forgive me and I could get away with and it wouldn't destroy me, I probably would do. But I've hit the point in my life that I recognize that all sin is is deadly to me. It it is something that I've got to get rid of even if I want to do it. I got to, I mean, this is, I use the example of the diet. Like back, you know, back in 2020, I decided I needed to eat less carbs and I'm so much healthier for it, you know. I love Pop-Tarts. I love Pop-Tarts. They do not love me. 
They're terrible for me. I love them. I miss them. I want them. If I could eat them and it didn't affect me physically and, and, and it didn't put on the pounds and, and make me feel unhealthy, and I would absolutely eat those things all the time. But they do ruin my life. And so I don't eat them, though I want them. And sin is, sin is like a Pop-Tart. There's a phrase you'll remember. We would, we would indulge in sin if, if, and some people didn't think they can get away, but the truth is we can't. It's bad for us. Um, I can choose, what, what do I do? Where does that leave me? I can choose to side with God and repent of my sins, even if I don't want to. What I want is not the point. Or, you know, I can keep doing what I want to do, call myself a Christian, but really, at that point, I'm on my own. Repentance requires that we turn from our sins. If there's no change, there's no repentance. Now, I love verse 14. Here. Verse 14. This plague is coming on Israel. Locusts, army, whatever. And Joel's response is, you should mourn. You should repent. Eh, who knows? Maybe God will forgive us. Or, well, maybe God will, will spare us. And... And I love, that who, I love that who knows phrase. Because sometimes your consequences of your actions just catch up with you. You know, you cheat on your taxes, the IRS comes to get you, you should repent. You still may be doing jail time. It doesn't mean you shouldn't repent. But there still may be consequences. I'm reminded, I love that who knows maybe God will save us. I'm reminded of one of my favorite passages in, in, in the Bible in Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3 verse 13. You, you, know, the, you know the story the account. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you don't worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you've set up. I love that whole God can save us if he wants, even if he doesn't. We're still not going to do this because it's not about the reward. It's not about what we get out of it. Um, We don't ask the question, what's in it for me? So this is that hard question that we've asked before. Are we in this for the reward? Or are we in this because God deserves to be followed? If there was no reward, would we still follow God? There's very little in the Old Testament on the subject of when people die, they go to heaven. In fact, Daniel's kind of the only, really the only Old Testament book that kind of talks about heaven. Um, But the Israelites still followed God even without hardly any conversation about heaven because God was worthy to be followed. Because he chose them and said, you are my treasured possession. And, And I will... In this life, I will, I will in Israel, the nation of Israel, Canaan, I will, I will bless you while you live in my land. And, and the kingdom of heaven is now. 
we have a blessing in this life that makes it worth it. Now, there is heaven, and I, don't want to, I definitely don't want to discount that. We get to live with God forever, and it's all that more amazing. But the point isn't, I get to live in a mansion one day. The point is, I get to follow God, and I get to serve Him, and one day I get to see Him, and, and that's enough. In heaven makes it all the better, but God deserves to be followed because He is God. And so, we mourn, we rend our heart, we repent of our sins, and we return to God. So, we're preaching on unity, right? Do you, do you remember, here, you remember what the first sermon, does anybody remember what the first sermon of the year was on? I know you can't even remember last week's sermon. I have trouble with that too because I have trouble remembering what I had for breakfast. Let alone, I get people to say, what did you preach on last week? Oh, I don't, I'm working on the next one. I don't know that I remember that. Um, we preached at the beginning of the year. The very first sermon was on Genesis chapter 1 through 3 on the fact that man was meant to live in unity with God. That was what he created us for. When things are not right between us and God, we're out of whack. And we feel that way. Uh, find me a person who doesn't have a relationship with God, and I will find you a hollow man. Um, and and, and here's, here's what I mean by that. Something's missing. Maybe they're rich and healthy, but they're still miserable. Maybe they're generally happy, but of course happiness is transitory and happiness can go away. Um, maybe they have everything the world says is great, but in the quiet time, at night, they're climbing into bed and they're laying there and they're thinking about it. Maybe if they're honest with themselves, that's that point when they recognize something's wrong, something's missing, this isn't, this isn't right. That's because we are wired for God. And that's why throughout century, I mean, when I was a kid, I, I read all the mythology books I could get my hands on. I loved mythology. I loved reading Greek mythology and Viking mythology and Egypt mythology. Just literally yesterday I was reading a book on, on, on Incan mythology. I actually like mythology stories. I like to read, what I, for a preacher, I think it's fascinating to read these stories about what other people came up with. It's, isn't it amazing that history has never produced, with, with our, our billions of people on earth, there is not a culture that grew up and, and, and was atheist that said, eh, there's no such thing as, as the supernatural. There's no gods. There's no, uh, 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 this, this just came from an accident in nature. Human, human beings are wired that we recognize that there's got to be something. Because independently, every single culture on earth from each other has figured out there's got to be something more than this. And so we recognize that there are gods, there, that, that there is a god. That people recognize there were gods. They, they, they knew something was bigger than them, and they tried to, and they made their gods in their image, which is why Zeus was kind of a jerk, and Hera was jealous, and all their gods were very mortal-like and human-like. But they, because there were lots of people, they, they, all these cultures made lots of gods. We, like Israel, know the truth. There is a God. There is one God who made us in His image, and He made us to live with Him. Um, Israel didn't have fake man-made gods, but they had, they had the Lord, Yahweh himself. They had prophets and scriptures and amazing miracles. And even with all of that, they still turned away, didn't they? they, they with, you, know, you, you read Judges and every, every other chapter, Israel walks away from God. Um, they, they, Joel takes place in this time when the people had quit following God. Um, so human, because we're no different. We have the scriptures. We, we, they didn't have that. They didn't have all of this. They had some books, maybe, but not this. And a day when there weren't printing presses and, and, and Bibles were hard to get 
hold of. We've got so much access to the scripture. And again, look at where we're at in the U.S. We had most of the country used to go to church, and now most of the country doesn't. And that's, we turn away. The Bible is such an amazing read. And one of the things that makes it amazing is it's our story. We see ourselves in it. Israel was called to return to their God, and we are called to do the same thing. You, know, you might say, Jason, I've been coming to church my entire life. Yeah, but we have to be careful. That doesn't mean that we're saved automatically. Attendance doesn't do it. Some people are married for years, share the same house, share the same bed, and their relationship is still falling apart. Coming to church weekly doesn't mean that your relationship with God is where it should be. Your presence in this... Let me be clear. If you're here this morning, that's great. That's a great beginning, but it's not the end. And it doesn't guarantee a relationship with God. To have a relationship with God is to love Him, to know Him, to be known. So many people today live in anonymity. The Internet's been amazing for this. We don't know our coworkers. We don't know our neighbors. Um, Internet allows us to use fake names on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. And then we try to live that way with God. And we don't make time for Him. We are called to return to God, to renew our relationship with Him, this church, First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia, cannot save you. It's not the goal. I, we want you to be saved, but the church cannot save you. It's only through Christ Jesus that we are saved. Only, only He can save us, and only if we follow Him and love Him and know Him and are known. So our hymn of, of decision today is hymn number 456. So take an inventory with me for a second. How is your relationship with God? Sometimes when I've, done, when, when I've talked with people, um, ask them about their own spiritual life, ask them about their marriage, I'll say, on a 1 to 10, where are you at? Because uh, that's, that, that's kind of a nice... I mean, hospitals do that, right? They, you know, where's your pain management? On a 1 to 10, where are you at? I think it's a great way to do that. And so my question, I would say, spiritually, where are you at? Where, where, where do you think you are? Uh, where do you want to be? Where does God think that you are? And where does he want you to be? If you are not where you want to be, the only person that can remedy that is you. Um, and, and like anything in life, it's easy to put off home improvements, right? You've got that project around the house you've been saying you're going to get to for years. We can put things off. Spirit, spiritual, our relationship with God should never be put off. We can't afford to. It's the most important thing that we have. Uh, today is the day to make a commitment to restore that relationship with God. If you haven't accepted Christ as Savior, let's talk. If you need to talk about other things as well, I'd, li I'd like to talk with you. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristelkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.